0: Welcome to the Ohio State University Autumn Quarter Commencement, held Sunday, December 9th at St. John Arena. 1,519 graduates received diplomas. This quarter's commencement speaker is Brian D. Joseph, Distinguished University Professor of Linguistics at The Ohio State University. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome one and all to the 382nd commencement of the Ohio State University. We are pleased to have you, we are indeed pleased to have you as honored guests as this university bestows academic degrees upon today's graduates. Ladies and gentlemen, you see before me in these graduates, behind me in these faculty, around me in this staff the reason why the Ohio State University is such a remarkable institution. Faculty members are making a difference in the lives of all of us through their ideas, their inventions, and creations, and of course, through the educational minds they influence as teachers and advisors. Staff members are working to make this complex organization accessible to make this large campus a community. In his poem, Pomp, Circumstance, and Other Songs of a Lifetime, printed in your program, The late University Poet Laureate David Satino wrote, and I quote, now you, our graduates, are being honored by degrees. We've all come together around the kitchen table of Ohio State, round on the ends and high in the middle. For the years to come, we'll sing together, unquote. Together, one Ohio State not isolated colleges and intellectual islands, rather a community of shared purpose and enormous reach. Nothing represents the singularity of purpose and promise better than commencement. All degrees are presented in a single ceremony, PhDs and BAs, with honors and with a lot of luck. Four-year journeys and some lengthy detours. Graduates from northern Ohio, North Carolina, and North Africa, we are, One Ohio State. It is a privilege and great joy to stand here today. I took a uh, 10-year sabbatical from Ohio State. At Brown University, I gave my commencement remarks in Latin. Uh, That's got to give some of you some worry, I know. At uh, at Vanderbilt, I gave my commencement remarks in Southern. Uh, Here, they are purely scarlet and gray. Ohio, that's right. I want each and every one of you to know that Ohio State changed my life and yours. Like me, you have gained lifelong friends and a lifelong curiosity for learning. You have acquired a scarlet and gray wardrobe and an appetite for peanut butter buckeyes. Ohio State has empowered us to think big and enabled us to take action on a grand scale. This university is uniquely prepared to address the important issues of our world. At the intersection of the sciences and humanities is creativity. Between the professions and the liberal arts is compassion. Today's questions are far-reaching, and here the answers are very, very close. One Ohio State, many opportunities, one great occasion, a lifetime of memories. I'm proud to be one among you as an Ohio State Buckeye. While most of you are saying goodbye, I am saying hello. But take it from me, you will come back for a game, a lecture, a reunion, for a day or another degree. You will come back. You will come back in your heart when you email an old roommate, see a game highlight on TV, and hear the strains of the best damn band in the land. I followed. That's true they are great, aren't they? I I followed my heart back here. I hope that each of you will do the same. You will always be welcomed back. You will always be part of the one and only Ohio State. This university has put many new words and phrases in your lexicon. Buck ID, RPAC, the Gateway Required Electives, that school up north, BCS, hang on, Sloopy. These are part of the language of the Buckeye Nation. Our speaker today has made a study of language, how it works, how it changes. He is a distinguished university professor of linguistics and holds the Kenneth Naylor Professorship in South Slavic Languages at Ohio State. Brian Joseph is a brilliant scholar and a teacher and an effective administrator. His term as department chair was marked by remarkable growth in their reputation. The Department of Linguistics is clearly one of the best in this nation. In fact, I told him last night that he is the Jim Trestle of linguistics, uh, keeping Ohio State at the, at the top ranks. He is internationally recognized for his work in his historical linguistics and is editor of the leading journal in his field. Professor Joseph is one of a very few faculty to receive the university's highest honors for service, for research, and for teaching. He is any president's ideal of a university citizen and faculty member, and he is, I am proud to say, this university president's friend. Please welcome a marvelous teacher and scholar, Professor Brian D. Joseph.
1: Well, it is a singular honor for me to have this opportunity to address you today. A good part of my life has been dedicated to higher education in one form or another, and most of it has been right here at The Ohio State University. It is customary for a commencement speaker to offer sage advice, sprinkled with a bit of humor, and a friend of mine actually did give me some useful platitudes, such as great opportunities lie ahead of you if you stay focused, or there's nothing that you cannot do if you set your minds to it, and so on. But rather than continue in that vein and develop those ideas more, I thought I would be truer to myself if instead I gave you a glimpse of what I believe makes universities such remarkable institutions. You have just spent four years or so at a great university, so you probably have your own ideas about this. But for me, having a large concentration of people, faculty and students, who dedicate themselves to learning and who lead an intellectual life of inquiry, for me, that is the key to what makes universities the great institutions they are. Universities are remarkable bastions where the pursuit of knowledge can take place unfettered, where faculty and students alike can engage in the business of creating new knowledge, codifying existing knowledge, and dispensing knowledge to willing learners. The Ohio State University has been such a place for me over the years, and hopefully for my students and for all of you, too. In some ways, I like to think of myself as a simple professor spending my time teaching classes and meeting with and advising students, but also doing research as I try to create, organize, and disseminate knowledge beyond the classroom. In my research, I concern myself with the minutia of how we use our language and how it and other languages change over time. I know these are topics that many of you would not find interesting. But understanding them, I I claim, adds to our overall appreciation of what it means to be human. Since language is a central part of how we define ourselves in the world, and with regard to others. Some of you may have taken linguistics classes. And if so, my words will be a reminder of what I hope was a pleasant and informative experience. For those of you who have not had that good fortune, I will take advantage of your captive status here today and talk about language change. This is, after all, perhaps the last chance that I'll have to give you a taste of what it is that I and other professors do at this huge place of higher learning. My classes mostly deal with esoteric topics, and it probably will not surprise you to learn that I've never spoken before as large a crowd as this one. For some reason, my classes in the Slavic department on the dialectology of the Balkan Sprachbund or in the linguistics department on diachronic morphology or on the history of Vedic Sanskrit do not get crowds like this. Go figure. But in this way, I feel somewhat like Arlo Guthrie at Woodstock. And I mean, by the way, the first Woodstock in 1969, an event that occurred when I myself was about to enter college as a freshman. Guthrie, upon seeing the hundreds of thousands assembled there for three days of fun and music, and nothing but fun and music, as the saying goes, said, I don't know uh, like how many of you can dig how many people there are, man. Like I was rapping to the fuzz. Eh, Yeah, right. Can you dig it? Man, there's supposed to be a million and a half people here by tonight. Can you dig that? Clearly, he was impressed with the size of the crowd, (laughs) just as I am here today. But I cite Guthrie for another reason, for it sets up mention of another place where I invoke his words at the beginning of a textbook that I co-wrote on language change. I suspect you can see why. I think you'll all agree that some of what he said like, rapping with the fuzz, or can you dig it, are words and phrases that are not used much today, certainly not by a 22-year-old college kid, college-age kid, I should say, which is what Guthrie was in 1969, or at least not with the same meaning. Rap, for him, referred simply to talking, not to a particular style of music, for instance. So in this simple case of some spontaneous words from the past, compared with what you might hear in a similar context today, barely 40 years later, we can see evidence of language change. The words are still with us, but they're just not used in the same way or with the same meaning. And more examples can be found all around us, many of which are quite salient to us here in central Ohio and Ohio State. For instance, how many of you know the name of the suburb just west of Columbus whose name starts with an H? Some of you may even be from there. It's Hilliard, of course. Or is it? As it turns out, that that town was originally called Hilliards with an S, short for Hilliards Station, since it was founded along a railroad route. Sometime after the 1950s, it came to have its present designation of simply Hilliard, even though some older residents there, even today, still keep the final S in the name. Thus, there's been a subtle but real change in the suburb's name, and so too in the usage of Central Ohioans in referring to that place. An illustrative example that hits even closer to home has to do with one of the OSU fight songs that we all so gladly and proudly sing to cheer on our beloved New Orleans-bound Big Ten champion number one Buckeyes. I knew that would be an applause line. (laughs) The song is, I want to go back to Ohio State. I will refrain from singing it since I don't have much of a voice, but it goes something like this. I want to go back to Ohio State, to old Columbus Town, to the stadium to hear the band, by far the finest in the land, and so on and so on. The last line of that song is, we'll win the game or know the reason why. And it has always intrigued me. I've wondered what it really means, and in particular, why we would not know the reason for a loss at the end of a game. (laughs) That's taking the word no in its now usual sense of having knowledge of or understanding something. To me, a more sensible meaning here for no would be find out or learn, that is, we'll win the game or learn the reason why. As a historical linguist, I wondered if no's meaning had shifted at some point. Here, an authority, the Oxford English Dictionary, provides an answer. One meaning given for know, now an obsolete one, is learn through inquiry, find out, obviously now supplanted by other more familiar meanings. So clearly, that line was written when this meaning of find out was not obsolete. In this anomalous meaning of the fixed phrase, know the reason why, compared to the current meaning of its individual parts, we see evidence for change in our language in the change of meaning of this very common verb. And although these isolated examples of language change are admittedly not particularly earth shattering, they do have significance in a few ways. First, after years of studying the phenomenon, my considered opinion is that language change on a large scale is really nothing more than the accumulation of changes on a small scale. And one never knows which small adjustment will catch on and spread to become something larger in scope. By large scale, I mean the sorts of changes that have led to English and German becoming different languages, even though they share a common Germanic source. Or to French and Spanish being so different, even though they both spring from Latin. But these large differences, the result of changes that affected each language individually as it split off from a common starting point, started with small alterations, with small differences between speakers in matters of detail. Small changes are precisely what we see distinguishing older and younger speakers regarding Hilliards versus Hilliard, or at different chronological stages of English in the case of the verb no. And so at the risk of reneging on my promise not to be preachy here, let me say that a life lesson can be drawn from language change, namely that big things start small. Remember the old adage from the Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu about a journey of a 1,000 miles beginning with one step. So even if your first job is not the CEO position you might want it to be, starting small and making a difference wherever you do start is likely to lead to larger, bigger, and better things. This is as true in life, for instance, in effecting change in society as it is in effecting change in language. But back to language change for a moment. The second way that these small changes from our immediate world here in central Ohio are significant, is that they conform to general principles of language change that are observable elsewhere. For instance, in the loss of S in Hilliards, an unmotivated part of that name was eliminated. Once station was dropped from Hilliards Station, what was the S doing there? It was unnecessary, and so it too ultimately was dropped. A similar case of a change in a word whose apparent parts do not add up is the loss of an S also in the word P, pea? In earlier English, it was originally as a singular noun, peas, and uh, with an unexpected plural-like final S, even though it was singular. So too with the example of no. Here, a change in the general meaning of the word is not carried over into the more fixed use, as the change in no did not spread to, into the phrase know the reason why. Interestingly, the same thing happened with the change of peas to pea, since the fixed usage in the nursery rhyme, peas porridge hot, peas porridge cold, preserves the older singular form, one that has now been lost in ordinary usage. And this account of no, and for that matter of peas, is significant, since it reveals something quite telling about language and about the degree of attention we as humans typically pay to things around us. That is, we tend to focus quite naturally on the here and now, on the most immediate, the most salient things at hand. Language change, with its starting small and highly localized sorts of developments, teaches us that lesson. It's not that we can't see widely or envision things on a large scale, but rather that when we get right down to it, what is most relevant for us is the most immediate and the most local. And we get this from a few examples of language change involving Ohio and Ohio State material. And to venture onto my soapbox again, this offers us yet another life lesson, namely that to have a broad vision, which is clearly important to making progress or to planning effectively, we need to work to counteract our tendency to see the world with blinders on or with a limited field of vision. It may not be easy to do so, but it is definitely worth the effort. To return to more linguistic matters, these examples show us that language in Ohio is linked to language elsewhere in terms of basic governing principles. And this basic unity to language everywhere also links us with speakers in centuries and millennia past, as my next example makes clear. While we can learn about language change by simply observing the present or the very recent past, including events within our lifetimes, as we have seen, We also learn by looking at materials from the more distant past, such as historical records and literary works. This long chronological reach shows that the human experience has been pretty constant through the ages. For instance, the University of Pennsylvania Museum has a collection of Greek letters written on papyrus from the early centuries of the common era. In one letter from the second century AD, a father offers advice to his son who is away studying. He urges his son to give his fullest attention to his studies, as that is the recipe for success in life. We don't know what was in the son's original letter that provoked that response from the uh, father, but we can make some reasonable guesses. They partied back then, uh, too, you know. And we can suppose further that it contains something quite familiar to us now in messages home from students, since the father adds at the end that he is sending along some supplies the son needs including, of course, some money. So we see clearly here that the more things change, the less things change, and that we are tied to our ancestors in the distant past as our descendants in the future will be tied to us, all by the commonality of human experience. As a final note, I would like to depart from my theme of language change and simply offer a bit of insight from linguistics into a pressing issue before us at this great institution, the status of the definite article, the, in the Ohio State University. We are proud here to emphasize the and to use it as a distinctive mark of university identification. Indeed, in that sense, it shows how linguistic features can take on a social significance, with the marking a particular attitude towards and pride in your soon-to-be alma mater. We are not just an Ohio State University, any old one, but the Ohio State University, after all. But is the part of the name or not? It certainly is officially, as it is emblazoned on our logo. But our acronym is OSU, not TOSU. And there is some ambivalence even in official usage. The medical center's website, for instance, has Ohio State University Medical Center across the top of the page, not the Ohio State University. And the same is true, actually, for other websites associated with official arms of the university. Linguistic analysis can add some fuel to this great articular controversy. Based on the ways words in English combine to form phrases and sentences, an argument can be made that the should not be taken as part of OSU's name. That is, while we can say either a student from the Ohio State University or a student from Ohio State University, if we move the university name before the noun student, we have to omit the and say an Ohio State University, but not a The Ohio State University student. That is, only one article can appear in the slot before the noun, and The in The Ohio State University competes for that slot, just as if it were a free word and not a meaningless piece built into the university's name. Will this settle the controversy? Probably not. But it shows how linguistic argumentation can inform an area of inquiry near and dear to all of us. By way of concluding, let me pick up on the theme of inquiry and suggest that inquisitiveness is what led to these discoveries of facts about the language around us and its development and patterning. Though small, they are discoveries. And it is the spirit of inquiry that pervades this great university and the intellectual life that it stands for that led to these discoveries. And I trust it is that spirit of inquiry nurtured here throughout your years at OSU that you, t- will, that you will take with you as a lasting gift that your college education has given you. Good luck to all of you, and thank you for your attention. None of this, by the way, will be on any quiz, I promise.
0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is a glorious day in the life of the university. It is a day you have looked forward to for a long time. Some of you, I might note, longer than others. Matthew Ferris, a member of this class, started at Ohio State in 1994. In an email, he wrote that he had been looking forward to earning a diploma with my signature on it as president. Well, he didn't finish his degree before I left in 1997. In fact, it has taken him 13 years to get to this moment. I guess he was just waiting for me to return. <laughs> Matt, I'm very proud to have my name on your diploma. Most of these graduates have been here four or five years. In that time, much has happened. New buildings opened for physics, architecture, and a fantastic recreation center. The Oval was closed, and the library closed. The Ohio Union didn't just close. It disappeared. Yeah. It isn't only real estate that marks the passage of time. When you started here, Dan Rather was a news anchor. Buffy was still slaying vampires, and Grey's Anatomy was just a textbook. There was, there was no meerkat Manor, no Facebook, and no YouTube. And how did you get along without repeat viewings of the history of dance? And okay, go on treadmills. You take with you many memories of things real and virtual, out of this world and off the wall, of fun and friends with a soundtrack of downloaded music. You also take with you a responsibility to use your Ohio State education for good. Educated Education for citizenship is the motto of this university. Our state and your nation need your leadership, creativity, and energy. Ohio State is a place of enormous spirit and intense pride. You can see it in the faces of the audience members and in the stories of these graduates. Many of you have worked while pursuing your degrees on campus and beyond. Katie O'Neill put her major in hospitality management to work by creating several successful new programs for campus dining services. You have given your time to many activities and improved campus and community life. Carrie Pryor coordinated very successful week-long community service projects in New York City, southwest Louisiana, and other locations for the alternative spring break program. Seth Reddy served as a summer orientation leader and as co-chair of the Welcome Leader Program For our residence halls. I stopped by on move-in day in September and it was clear to me that students bring way too much stuff with them and they keep it all. This week many of you have had to pack up four years of accumulated t-shirts, DVDs, even a few stray videotapes, clothes of suspicious ownership, plastic cups from now defunct establishments and an iron you never took out of the box of co- of course your most precious possessions are your ohio state memories they are the foundation of your buckeye spirit and how is this for spirit heather smith has three ohio state degrees including today a phd in civil engineering she's begun her position on the faculty at of all places louisiana state university <laughs> i understand she's been wearing her buckeye colors down there with great pride we have uh, Enough band members, student athletes, and fans in this arena to start a pep rally. Among the members of the football team in this graduating class is Marcus Freeman, an all-Big Ten selection, earning a degree from the College of Education and Human Ecology. Football team co-captain Kirk Barton is graduating with a major in history. After earning their diplomas, we hope they will earn a national championship in New Orleans. Go Bucks! How does that sound Kirk Barton is an All-American, so is Sarah Wells. She was named to the All-American Livestock Judging Team at the North American International Livestock Ex- uh, Exposition. That was the yell of a tuition fang father. Uh, sociology, uh, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. Sociology graduate Brandy uh, Hoskins is a three-time All-Big Ten basketball player Adam Crompton, a computer and information science major, is a three-time NCAA champion fencer. Morgan Feeney is an all-star honor psychology student. Her research won the poster award from the Society for Behavioral Neuroendocrinology. She went on to the big leagues, presenting her work to the International Society for Neuroscience. Matt Jackson is graduating in animal science, and Janelle Hickman is receiving her degree in electrical engineering. As members of the 220th Engineering, and Installation Squadron of the Air National Guard both volunteered for service in Iraq and returned to complete their degrees. We are proud of you and thank both of you for your service. (laughs) So graduates, today you begin your journey. I do not wish you farewell. I wish that you will fare well. Ladies and gentlemen, it is, of course, my privilege as president of this university to send you forth into the world with some words of advice. So here goes. Be a citizen of the world. Let your Ohio State education amplify your voice, intensify your compassion, and multiply your effectiveness as an advocate for those without help or hope. Ask for directions, and sometimes change direction. Remember to say thank you. Remember to pay forward. Remember to change your passwords. Turn off the television. Take off the headphones. Take a stand, even if, it's, even if you stand alone. Do not get in the 10 items or less line with more than 10 items. <laughs> do not do all your communicating with your thumbs. And remember this, do not use your MasterCard to pay your Visa bill. <laughs> Always have an answer to the question, What are you reading? Complain less, play fair, laugh every day, and always, always remember your alma mater. We will never forget you. I offer you my personal congratulations, my admiration, my affection, my respect, and my very best wishes. Godspeed every one of you on your remarkable journey, and I particularly today thank you and all here for giving me the honor to again be part of this most remarkable university.